Smartcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, and welcome to Deep Leadership. I'm your host, John Rennie. Today on the podcast, my guest is Will Bachman. Will is a Harvard-educated former U.S. Navy nuclear submarine officer who is also an entrepreneur and a podcaster. He attributes his success in life from the leadership lessons he learned in the submarine Navy. I'm excited to have him on the show today to share those experiences with you. So, are you ready to dive in? Let's get started. Welcome to Deep Leadership. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. As a former Cold War submarine officer who spent 20 plus years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. Leadership matters. Are you ready for some real world actionable advice from John as well as his expert guests? I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. The show starts right now. Welcome to the Deep Leadership Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Will Bachman. Will is an independent management consultant, but more importantly, he is the co-founder of Umbrix, an organization that connects top-tier independent management consultants around the world. He's also the host of a podcast called Unleashed, where he focuses on helping people thrive as independent professionals. My favorite part of his background, however, is that Will was also a U.S. Navy nuclear submarine officer. So I'm excited to talk to him today and see how he used his experience in the Navy to thrive as a management consultant. So, Will, welcome. John, I'm a big fan of your book. Uh, I have the watch and your podcast, so thanks a lot. It's great to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you here. And uh, before we dive into your background and what you do, let's clear the air a little bit. So what is an independent management consultant? What kind of work do you do with clients? Sure. So let, let's break that apart. So the... Uh, the independent part just refers to someone who has probably had experience at a larger firm, such as a McKinsey, a Bain, a BCG, a Deloitte, et cetera, uh, and has now left and set up their own practice. So someone who uh, has probably set up their own LLC and is just running their own practice and doing it uh, as an independent. And more and more folks are becoming independent professionals and doing that. Uh, what does a management consultant do? Basically, it's an advisor to executives, uh, helping them either make decisions or implement those decisions. And you know, some people think consultants, and they equate that to going in and cost cutting or cutting out jobs, and 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 that is you know probably one thing that consultants sometimes do. But 
it's really the whole range of anything that a company has to do. So what's our strategy? What kind of products do we want to sell? What kind of people do we want to market to? Should we buy a new factory or should we uh, you know, have, pay someone else to produce it for us? Uh, should we, um, you know, sh- you know, what channel should we sell through? What should the price be? Um, how do we, uh, you know, do we, you know, advertise or do we, uh, you know, so how do we sell? How do we market? How do we run our operations? Making those decisions and then once they're made, uh, implementing them. The, all those kinds of things are something that a management consultant would help with. Okay, excellent. And tell us about Umbrix. <clears throat> Why was there a need for an organization like this to bring together independent consultants? Well, Umbrex, the, the name comes from Umbrella of Excellence. And the idea was I left McKinsey uh, in 2008 to start my own independent consulting practice, John. And what I felt quickly was uh, the desire to have a set of colleagues that I could turn to for advice, mm. uh, to potentially collaborate with, uh, and to just to ask for help. Um, perhaps sometimes I might want to bring someone onto my project and get some help, or if I had some spare capacity, maybe someone could bring me onto their project. And when I was at McKinsey, you could, uh, you could just, the culture was such that you could just call someone else in the firm, even mm. someone across the world, you know, the partner in Australia to ask about the auto industry, and they would take time out of their day to help you out. Mm. And I wanted to try to have that same culture in the world of independent professionals, Mm. Uh, a community of people that would help each other out, realize that we're not competing with one another, but think of it as a big village where we can help each other out. And I didn't see that existing in the world, so Mm. I set out to to create it. And uh, that's grown over time, so we now have over 800 members around the world. Uh, We create opportunities for our members to uh, connect with one another, uh, to share lessons learned via a private online forum, to collaborate on projects, uh, to help new members get started as independent professionals, uh, share tips on how do you price, how do you raise your visibility, how do you get projects, uh, how do you deliver on a certain type of mm-hmm. engagement. And so that that's what I've been doing uh, over the past 10 years of, of growing and nurturing that community in parallel with just running my own consulting projects. Okay, interesting. I think that's one of the big things we see as the you know opportunities to bring bring groups of people together. I think now with you know with all the resources we have with the internet and what have you, I think bringing people together, bringing groups of to, people together that have common interests, common you know ways they can work together. I think that's a real need, and it seems like you you met that need with Umbrick. So that's uh, really good. Well, thanks, John. I, that's, we're certainly trying to, and and I'd encourage listeners that. Uh, we're in, I'd say, the the community economy where there people want connection, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of value that you can create by uh, by building a group of people that you know can help one another out. And mm-hmm. you know, creating that tribe, it doesn't mean that it's one to many that you're sort of at the top giving your wisdom down to that, but it's creating a forum where like-minded people can connect with one another and provide mm. value to one another. Oh, that's great. That's great. That's really good. So congratulations on that and 10 years doing it. So it's, uh, it's, been, uh, it's been maturing, I'm sure, over time. Thanks. So let's go back in time a little bit. So tell us about your military experience. How did you end up in the Navy? How did you end up on submarines? Um, you know, what was the, when, when did you have that spark that said something you wanted to do in your life? 
Well, my, my dad had been in the army just for a couple years, uh, and from 62 to 64. And he was a lucky man because he probably would have just stayed in the army. He, he was an artillery officer. He would have stayed in, but he had gone ROTC and, uh, was still reserve officer. And because he had had some kind of rash when he was a kid, they, they kicked, you know, they didn't let him convert over to regular army. So he had to go and, and, uh, he ended up, you know, you know, obviously leaving the army then and getting a PhD in nuclear engineering. Um, but he had had those couple of years and, and both his brothers had been in the army. So the idea of being in the military was, was, uh, kind of in my, back in my mind. And then the real thing was when I was a freshman in high school, I saw a senior getting an ROTC scholarship mm. and I said, ah, oh, the light went off and says, that would be a pretty cool way to pay for college. Uh, I didn't have any specific career plans after that. And it seemed like a cool way to pay for college, number one, mm-hmm. and to, do something, you know, to actually get some great training and some great leadership experience after college. Uh, I didn't go into it planning that I was going to do a career in the Navy, but it just seemed like a great experience. Um, and then choosing between the Navy and the Army, well, uh, I wanted to go to Harvard. And the, number one, the Navy just had a better uh, ROTC kind of tuition thing for Harvard because uh, it was a cross-enrolled school. So mm. if you did the Army, they paid for 80% of tuition for three years. The Navy was 100% for four years. So it was kind of a, that was a sort of a no-brainer. <laughs> um, and also I liked the idea of my dad had been in the Army and told stories about eating mashed potatoes in the rain. And I liked the idea of you know, being on a nice warm boat, you know, with food. And I figured uh, in, the, in the Navy, in a submarine, if you die you're going to die quick. You know, you get flooding, the ship is going down, but, um, so you're not going to suffer too much. I just figured it's like, you know, you're less likely to get shot at. So, um, and then when I was in college, you know, in ROTC, I went into the ROTC Navy, not having really any idea about what branch I wanted to serve in. Uh, and then when I was in ROTC, really the first week of orientation, when they talked about the different branches of the service, mm-hmm. the nuclear Navy appealed to me it seemed uh, kind of the most technically challenging. Mm. And I just liked the idea of, you know, learning about nuclear power and getting all that technical training. Uh, so that seemed like the, the obvious choice for me from day one. Okay. Okay. It wasn't the hunt, hunt for Red October when it came out that you were like, wait, I want to be Jonesy. No, that didn't, no, no. no more, more like Das Boot. You know? Oh yeah. Which is not the most, uh, <laughs> more, more realistic, the most realistic submarine movie. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. We we were never depth charged, but I could sympathize with that scene where they goes fresh plums. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah, we we were used to not running out of food and running out of fresh food and fruit and vegetables and drinking uh, powdered milk. Right. That's so, right. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so how you know your experience in the Navy? You were you're on a fast tack boat. Um, and um, how did that experience influence you and what you did outside once you got out of the military and you went into consulting? How did that background, how did that um, experience help you do what you do today? Well, John, in, in preparation for our discussion here, I, I wrote down some uh, leadership lessons that I got in the Navy that have really been super helpful to me in civilian life. So I'll, I'll go through those quickly. That'd be great. Yeah. All right, cool. So number one was the power of focus. So, um, my second commander got on board when, uh, when I was, had been on board about six months, we had not been the greatest. We had a below average on our reactor safeguards exam and, uh, we got a new CO and 
he, there was a ton of things to fix, but he picked two things Mm. that he prioritized and put all his attention on two things that were, they were maximum points of leverage. So Mm. Captain Walsh focused on formal communications and tag outs. And if you screwed up one of those things, you know, you were really going to get it. Um, other things you could, you know, it wouldn't make necessarily, you know, get his wrath, but boy, formal communications and tag outs, getting those right. So in the Navy, as you know, of course, formal communications are so important. Um, and, you know, we had probably been a little bit slack on it, but he came on and it was, you know, formal repeat back. So when you give someone an order, they repeat it back and it gets to be kind of a little bit, in some cases, ridiculous, but, you know. <clears throat> electrical officer to engine room lower level you know prepared xyz for you know and then they repeat it back so formal communications and tag outs uh and it was really about safety so that focus uh turned out to be incredibly effective for our boat uh we went from a below average to we had an above average on our next reactor safeguards exam and in our tactical readiness exam we were the first boat in our squadron or maybe ever to get excellent in all areas. So completely clean sleep on the TRE, which which we were super proud about. So that was number one, just focusing on priorities. So thinking as a leader, you can't fix everything. You gotta be, gotta put your attention on something. And in our own daily life, I think we can think about what is one or two keystone habits that can really um, change everything else and focusing all your effort on changing those one or two keystone habits. Uh, Second lesson was, when I was a young ensign, I was super impressed by one lieutenant. I'll call him Lieutenant A. He was the most senior lieutenant in the, among the division officers. And I once went to the engineer and says, hey, you know, Lieutenant A, I'm not going to say his name. Like, I'm so impressed by this guy. He knows the ship so well, he can run the entire day just from the, from the wardroom. You know, he, you know, he just sits there, petty officers come in and out, asking for mi- permission, getting tag out signed, getting permission to do procedures. And he knows the ship so well, he can run it just from there. The engineer says, look, you got it totally wrong. He is the laziest officer on board the ship, and it's a good thing he's getting out of the Navy. Um, what you need to do is the opposite. You need to go out there and put your eyeballs mm. on the job, yeah. right? And so you know, he told me, you know, there's a problem in the engine room. You got to go back there, mm. climb in the bilge, put your mm. own eyeballs on that leaky valve yourself and see it. And so that was kind of put, given to me at an impressionable age as, as an incident in my development. And that's what I um, end up learning to do. I, I was glad I did one time because we had some folks come down from the tender. And I'm like, what are you guys here for? Cutting out some valves, they told me. And uh, so I you know, went there back with them and looked at where they were planning to cut out the valve. They were on the wrong ship. Right. Oh no! <laughs> they were going to cut out a valve in a high-pressure loop oil system. Uh, oh. That was not teched out. Oh. So putting your eyeballs on the job is something that that mm. you know I think we can all take to heart. Of uh, I always, as a consultant, really try to get out to where the work is being done. Mm. So you know I've been on projects where you're sitting there at corporate headquarters, let's say for a bank, and trying to figure out like how do we increase sales or profitability of this checking account product. My instinct is go out to the branch and talk to the salespeople that mm. are selling that product that can tell you, you know, the reality. So mm. go out and see, see where the work is being done. 
I call it Gimba. Go to the real place. So yeah. that's a lean manufacturing terminology too. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. <clears throat> um, number three would be um, having definitely having the respect for the chief petty officers. You know, mm. as an ensign, as Lieutenant JG, you get put in front, charge of a division with people who've been doing it since you were in diapers, um, <laughs> and having the respect for that uh, experience and wisdom, but balancing that with having enough trust in your own intuition and judgment to ask to see the procedure, right? Mm -hmm. You got to, you got to trust that experience that they have, but also have enough sort of courage to say, well, is this really required by procedure or is this kind of the way we've Mm. always done it just because, right? Right. So it's, it's a balance between trusting experience and being willing to challenge it. Um, Number four, and I think, you know, I'm sure that you've, you may, I hope, I'm sure you'll have this one in your next book. And, <laughs> and I think it was in, I have the watch is, is taking responsibility for the mistakes that, that happen in your division, but mm-hmm. giving credit when there's successes. So mm-hmm. um, that's painful in the short term, but uh, you know, that's, that's what um, inspires, inspires uh, a team or your division to, you know, to look out for you as a division officer. Uh, if, if, uh, is when, when, when you, when you kind of shield them, when there's mistakes that get made, uh, but, you know, highlight if a second class petty officer does something great and making sure that they get the credit for it. Right. Absolutely. Yep. Um, next one is completed staff work. Mm-hmm. So I had heard this phrase, um, and I did a podcast episode on just this concept myself. And when I looked it up, I found out that it originated in a brigadier general named George Rame who was the executive officer for the G3 operation for MacArthur's headquarters in the Southwest Pacific. And you can Google it. He wrote this great short memo. And this is something that I still see even a lot of executives don't get, but completed staff work. I'm just going to read a one sentence quote. Completed staff work is the study of a problem and presentation of a solution by a staff member in such form that all that remains to be done on the part of the commander is to indicate approval or disapproval of the completed action. Mm. So, you know, as a consultant and, you know, what I try to do is bring to my clients something that they can either just say yes to or no to, right? Where it's all the research has been done. Mm. The options have been laid out, not to say, okay, what do you think? We found this interesting data, but what's the implications of it? You know, what are the potential courses of action? What are the pros and cons of each? You know, here's the recommendation for A, but you could choose B's or C. And, you know, which cir- circle the choice you want, right? Make, mm. Making it easy for executives to decide and doing that completed staff work. And that's something I often not see done uh, in corporate America. Well, I think that's, that's really interesting. I haven't heard that one put that way, but I think even as it works with sales, if you're working with a customer and, and uh, you have different options as like, you know, my business, I'm a, I'm a manufacturing company. We produce products that we sell to customers, but providing those full range of options to solve the problem, but in a way that's a package that all they have to say is yes or no, or I like this, this option versus this, this other option. So you've done all the work, you've answered their questions and it makes it for an easier decision on, Yes, it's not a it's not a yes or no. It's a yes, I want this option type of thing. So you've done all the work ahead of time. Yeah, exactly. Or you know, you've started a company, John. If you know, if you have an issue with a supplier or something, you don't want your you know one of your 
leaders to come to you and say, hey, John, we have this problem. What should we do? We right, want them right. to come and say, hey, this supplier is not going to deliver on time. We've researched this options. We could either delay this order or we could go to this other supplier. It's going to cost a little bit more, but we can get it on time or we can pay for express shipping or something like boom, boom, boom. What do you want to do, John? And here's the options. Here's the right, cost right. benefit, everything. So they've done the work for you. So yeah, that's, it's, that's it's managing up, I think, a little bit too, you know, managing your boss uh, in a way that's uh, effective and, you know, and helps, you know, if it, it looks, you're looked at a lot better if you can manage your boss in that way, where you come up with solutions, not problems. That's right. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Deep Leadership is brought to you by Strikeforce Energy. Strikeforce Energy is a veteran-owned company founded by a Navy SEAL, and their products are all made in the USA. Strikeforce Energy is a liquid flavor pack that you can add into any beverage. It has zero calories, zero carbs, and zero sugar. Each pack contains 80 milligrams of caffeine. Strikeforce Energy is offering a discount to all the listeners of Deep Leadership. Go to strikeforceenergy.com and enter the discount code I have the watch, one word, for a 20% discount on every order. Deep Leadership is also brought to you by my Amazon best-selling book, I Have the Watch, Becoming a Leader Worth Following. This book is filled with 23 short stories on how you can become a more effective leader. It's super easy to read and most people finish it in less than two hours. Go to IHaveTheWatch.com and click the large orange button for signed copies. Enter the discount code IHaveTheWatch, one word, at checkout for 20% off your order and domestic shipping is always free. The next one is around the whole experience of tasks on board a submarine or procedures where the CEO permission is required, Mm. right? You and I both went through this where there's a series of things that the engineer could just approve. There's a series of things the engineering duty officer could do on his own or uh, her own now. Um, But there were some things where the CEO permission was required. And that might be, for example, working in the vicinity of energized gear. Mm -hmm. And I didn't really think about it a lot when I was in the Navy, but I've reflected on it since. And what I've realized, it, it was really kind of Rickover's way or the Navy's way of enforcing mentorship at um, kind of moments of truth. Mm. And so, you know, when I was an engineering duty officer, newly qualified, the first time I, you know, had to get permission to work in energized gear, I thought I knew what I was doing and I kind of looked at the site and so forth. And then I went up forward to the commanding officer's stateroom and knocked on Captain Walsh's door and said, commanding, you know, captain request permission to work in energized gear. And then he starts asking me these questions. Right? Mm. Not going to tell me what to do, but he says, okay, well, uh, who's the safety observer? Uh, sir, I don't know, but I'll get back to you on that. Okay. And uh, have you inspect visually inspected the area yourself and gone through the checklist? Uh, no, sir, but I'll do that. And like, okay, well, are we doing, uh, you know, any other work in the vicinity that's going to interfere with that? Uh, no, sir, I'm, I'm not sure. You know, it's like, so then I'd go back to the engine room and check all those things and go back up for it. Okay, so-and-so, Chief Todd's going to be the safety observer. And then he'd ask me a few more questions. Right, right. right. And so <clears throat> it was not so much that, you know, his per- 
his permission was something special, but he knew the questions to ask. And the way Captain Walsh did it was, it was that mentoring process of force, you know, Socratic of asking me the questions. And then, and, you know, hopefully by the kind of end of my time on board the ship, I knew enough to ask those questions myself. Right, right. So, so, and that's kind of an interesting thing that I think you can carry into corporate world of, you know, making certain things require permission, but it's, it's not to satisfy the questions of someone senior. It's, it's, it's a way to make sure that you're passing on the questions that the, that the more junior person should be asking. Yeah, I like that. You talked about enforcing mentorship at a, at a moments of truth, and I like yeah. that. So sort of you're not doing it because you want to be top-down directive, you know, where everything comes from, you know, you, no, one, no one's allowed to do anything without my permission. Right. No, it's, it's establishing those important areas where you want to have that, you know, uh, mentorship at, the, at a point, at a moment of truth, an important moment. It's a great point uh, that, especially when you're training young uh, people coming up, young managers coming up, young, you know, submarine officers coming up, this is your chance to impart, you know, that, that wisdom that of the, of the years like a commanding officer has. So yeah. interesting. I like that. The, the, the next lesson I'll talk about is, so I was the communications officer for two and a half years uh, on my junior officer tour, which is, which is a pretty long time for someone to stay in the same division. Um, normally they'd rotate through it. I, I had already done nine months as a reactor controls assistant and six months as the Kim Radcon assistant. I rotated into the communications officer role. And then I really got along great with my department head, uh, Rich Carell. It was now an admiral somewhere, and uh, and then it got to the point where uh, I had just I had given my letter that I was going to get out of the navy, so they didn't feel forced to kind of rotate me through and get me other experience, which was fine with me. I loved the job, and the thing that I really learned in that is a couple things. One is, you know, so it was my responsibility to route messages around and get them approved. And in those days, I don't know what it is now, but you'd have to have the sender sign off on the message, and then I had to sign off on it, and then the navigator signed off mm-hmm. on it, the EXO signed off on it, the captain <laughs> signed off on it. And going through that process, uh, you know, I don't want to go into the operations details here on the show, but you know, submarines don't like to transmit messages. And when they do, even when they do, uh, it's probably gonna be a day uh, you know, total if they're gonna if the if uh, the shore command is gonna reply back your message and you're gonna give them another answer. So you want to make sure that your messages can be really clearly understood. Mm. And what that experience, I think it was been helpful for my business writing and just for email, because, you know, you'd always try to avoid any potential back and forth. So in the in, in messages, you want to make it super clear on exactly what you're asking for. And if there's going to be an option, you know, making it clear, like you'd say, okay, if A is true, then please do X. If mm. A is not true, then do Y. Uh, or to make it clear of this is exactly what we're going to do, you know, please advise if different, no later than X date. Or just always making it you know, extremely clear on what actions you're planning to take or what actions you expect someone else to take mm. in your messages. So that's been helpful for my, my business writing. I like that. And uh, kind of the other piece of that that I learned was my commanding officer – had this idea in his head that there was always going to be some mistake in every single piece of paper that was brought to him and mm. he was determined to find that. <laughs> so 
that kind of got pushed down to me because it was mm. always embarrassing and it was just a hassle if there was a mistake found because if he found a mistake then i'd have to go get that corrected and bring it back up through the chain back to him so to avoid that it kind of taught me to proofread carefully to look for errors and i mean it was a major victory anytime i could get something signed by him without <laughs> him finding a, an error because he was uh it was so much uh, something he was looking for um, it's funny that you say that because i'm known in my all the different businesses i run is i'm the guy with the red pen you know, yeah. they, you know, and I'm always, you know, marking things up and, you know, it's, it's sort of a joke with my employees. Like, let's see if we can get it past him without getting any <laughs> red marks on it. So <laughs> same thing. You probably picked that up. And then, okay. And then the final thing I'll mention, I mean, sure there's other lessons, um, but the, the qualification process in the Navy yeah, is yeah. just the best I've ever seen anywhere. Yeah. And I've yeah. had a couple of clients where I've helped them implement something similar. That's good. You know, it's just such a simple and obvious concept when you think about it is mm. tell people when they're coming into a job, what skills you expect them to master. Mm -hmm. I mean, why yeah. not do that and say, here is all of the knowledge we expect you to have. And here's all the actions we expect you to be able to perform. Mm. And we're going to tell you that when you arrive, mm. we're going to give you a quote unquote call qualification card laying that out. Yeah. So that rather than employees having to sort of just kind of figure it out as they go along, say, which is what we do in corporate yeah, America, figure it out, do, yeah, is yeah. give them that list of these are the actions that you should learn how to perform. And what, because the beauty of that in the Navy is when you have that list, when something is about to happen, you're like, oh man, I need to make sure I stay on board all night tonight because we're right, going to start right. up the reactor. I need to get an observation. I need to do this under instruction. So I'm going to stay tonight or wake up to in the morning so I can go observe this or perform this under instruction. And, you know, more places in corporate America should do that. Mm. So it's whatever, if it's launching a digital marketing campaign, you need to do it under instruction. Hey, it's not right. my day job. Someone else is responsible, but we're about to do one. Let me go do that under instruction. Right, right. Uh, you know, we, oh, running a trade show, you know, set up. Oh, well, I've never done that before. I'm in operations, but let me see if I can volunteer to go to the trade show this weekend and help set up the booth and run it, right? Um, so having a qualified, telling people what your expectations are. And then I love the way that the Navy sets it up with, you know, observe, explain, or perform, you know? Mm. So some things you just need to observe it. And then once you've observed it, you should perform it under instruction and you should also be able to explain it. So mm -hmm. I've tried to help several clients implement that same idea of uh, a qual card. And then, you know, running my own business, I try to make sure that when we're going to be performing something that you look around as it, use it as a training opportunity and say, is there someone else who can, who can do this skill? No, I think that's great. I had uh, Stephanie Treese on my podcast. She was one of the first women submarine officers. And we spent a lot of time talking about uh, the qualification process and how powerful that is and and i've got a chapter in the book on my new book it's going to talk about that because i think it's <clears throat> it's remarkable it's a simple technique but it's uh it's a remarkable way for you to get that experience get those opportunities to learn and the other thing is you're doing one-on-one -on -one time with an experienced person uh that you know like the like the, you know the chief uh you know torpedo man right you're spending time in the in the torpedo room learning something that you wouldn't normally do, right? It's probably someplace you would ignore as an officer coming in, but you need to know and understand so torpedo operations as part of the job. And the other thing too I like about the qualification process is 
as you move up in, um, you know, in, in responsibility and rank is that, you know, everyone, you know, everybody has, has, has gotten through a bare minimum requirements. They have proven themselves in all the various things. So when you get to be a commanding officer of a submarine, for example, you, you have done everything that every junior officer has done, right? And then some, you have all those years of experience. So there's, there's an instant amount of respect as a young officer. You're looking up at the captain who has done this for, you know, 18 years or what have you. So I think that that's something that's really unique. You don't see necessarily in corporate America where um, you, know, you might have leaders that get promoted, but they really didn't have the experience or the knowledge. So you, so you build this foundation uh, all the time as you move up in rank and responsibility in the Navy. I really like that. Yeah, and and that's you know that's one where I, I also feel that I made a mistake in reflection, mm. kind of on this topic. Uh, it wasn't on the qual card, but I should have done it. So you know, I mentioned I was the communication officer for two mm. and a half years. Something that I never actually mastered was learning to operate the radio equipment mm. of my division. Yeah, you know, yeah. it wasn't something officers were expected to do. Um, but on, and it always seemed like, well, I'm six months into this role. Is it worth the investment now? But if I had known I was going to be doing the job for two and a half years, yeah, I was like, yeah. okay, uh, let me learn to master it. Back in the engine room, you, you did learn how to do right, basically all right. the stuff. You stood watch as electrical operator or as reactor operator, but I, I never actually mastered how to just, you know, turn all the knobs and switches on the radio myself. And that really was a, um, uh, you know, made made it more challenging for me to do my job because I just didn't understand technically uh, mm. what was going on. So if there was a problem in the radio room, I couldn't really help contribute to the problem solving. Mm. And so kind of going forward in my life, what I've taken from that is take the time to you know understand how to do the job that the people working for you are doing. You know, even if you're not the greatest at it, try to make sure you understand technically what they're doing. So, you know, if, if you're running a factory, actually, you know, spend, spend a watch uh, on, on the line, right? Mm. And, you know, each of the, each, each of the different functions, uh, spend a shift and sort of see what it's like so you can, you know, master all the different parts of it yourself, at least at a basic level, so you know what's going on. Yeah, no, I agree with that. We, you know, most of the businesses I've run have been manufacturing businesses, and we've always had a thing called Fridays on the floor, and it's one one Friday every month, and every staff member goes out on the floor and works in the various areas for for the morning. So it's basically four hours. <clears throat> you partner up with the with with one of the operators, and you work on the shop floor in the morning, and then we all come back. And what did you learn? What did you observe? What needs to be fixed? What did you know? What are people telling you? So we built relationships with the people on the, on the shop floor, but we also learned, you know, they didn't have the right tools or we weren't, um, you know, uh, the, we had some material problems or mm. the procedures were wrong. So it was a great chance to learn, build a relationship, learn from the, from the operators, but also to fix problems that uh, existed in the organization that we didn't even know because we were, you know, we're on our world, which is, yeah. you know, strategy and planning and, you know, sales numbers and accounting. So we, it was good to get out on the shop floor and have that, you know, that, that reality check. So it was really good. I love that concept, John. I'm going to remember that Fridays on the floor. I like yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a, one little thing. So I think probably your experience similar to mine, you know, you, you know, on a submarine, 
you did things right. You didn't just, you know, as, as a leader, you didn't just observe you, you, you got in there, you got your hands dirty. And I think I've always been that way. I like to, like you mentioned, go to where the action is, go to where the value is being added. But I also like to roll up my sleeves and, and work as well in my company today. My, uh, my steel toe boots are right next to my desk and my, in my glasses. And so if we get real busy, uh, I jump on the shop floor and, and help out. So, and I enjoy that. It's, it's part of what I enjoy. I like, I like working side by side with my employees and just having that personal relationship with them as well. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that. And it's so important for leaders, you know, particularly at manufacturing plants to get out there and walk around and see it. Um, I mean, that's something, I, another thing I picked up in the Navy was you're required to do the pre-shift tour yeah and my co every day would do a walkthrough of the ship and come up with a hit list of action items yeah and uh some some of my clients running at manufacturing plants i've helped them put in place the same thing of having the ceo kind of daily tour of the plant um so it's i i I love the fact that you still have your steel-toed shoes steel-toed boots oh yeah no i always have and if you see them they're kind of beat up because i've been I've had them for a while, so. <laughs> but it's it's who I am as a leader, so I enjoy that, and I enjoy that part of it. And uh, you know, I always say be present, and part of being present means getting out of your office and and uh, you know seeing people and wandering around and seeing what's going on. That's the only way you're going to know what's really going on. That's true. Yep, absolutely. That's great. So, last question for you. Uh, I've been asking this of all of my guests. In your opinion, what are some characteristics of a great leader? So I'd say it's, it's, it's certainly not um, the kind of image that we might have about, mm. about charisma. Uh, I think it's about um, probably the number one most important thing uh, in my mind is putting the people that you're leading, putting their interests ahead of yours, mm. which is, uh, that's probably number one. Um, it's uh, putting their interests ahead of yours. And uh, I think when you do that uh, for real, people see that um, and are, are, you know, are willing, are then you know, are eager to follow you. If they see mm-hmm. it, you're going you're gonna to prioritize their interests. Um, honesty, um, consistency. Uh, you know, it's hard to follow a leader who's giving you a different message every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Uh, you know, kind of a long-term focus on uh, what impact the organization is trying to have. Mm. Uh, so, you know, being clear about what is the change you're trying to make in the world. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah. I, I talk about that a lot, the importance of, you know, making sure that your mission statement is something that is, you know, I always say four, four words or less that you communicate daily so that everybody knows their role in achieving the mission. What is it that we're doing as a company in the world and uh, that you can communicate that every day and every, every decision is made based on that vision and that mission that you have yeah. as an organization. So yeah, that's great. I like yeah, that. and what we're, what we're trying to do at Umbrex, for example, is, you know, what we're really about is helping independent professionals thrive. Mm. Right? And we try to do that by creating opportunities for our members to connect with one another by sharing lessons learned, by sharing tips, by uh, giving, you know, by helping raise the visibility of our members. But all of our decisions are really evaluated on you know, where we're going to invest our time. Is is this going to help our members thrive as independent professionals and help you know help them? 
So uh, four, you yeah. have forward forward yeah. mission statement. Yeah. Forward mission statement. Yeah, that's. I think it's powerful. If you can get it down to some basic thing that everybody remembers and all your decisions, it actually helps the organization when you when everybody's aligned to the mission and it's very clear. Then there's a lot less disagreement and fighting and and uh, you know where, where are we going to what are we going to work on next? Everybody goes back to well, what's our mission? What's our goal here? You know? I think you're right. Yeah, absolutely. That's great. So how can our listeners get uh, connect with you and find out more about your company uh, and also your podcast? Yeah, John, thanks for asking. So uh, the company, the site is easy to find. It's Umbrex, U-M-B-R-E-X, like umbrella of excellence, umbrex.com. We help connect independent professionals with one another. Uh, If you're running a company and you're looking for an independent consultant, what our business model is we help our clients find the right independent consultant for a project. So right on the website there, you can submit an inquiry. Uh, If you're looking for the website, uh, for the podcast that that John, that you mentioned, uh, if you go to right on the website, click on unleashed umbrex.com slash unleash, you can find the the website, uh, the podcast, and it's all on all the uh, iTunes and Spotify and Stitcher and everywhere that fine podcasts are, are sold. Um, And if you want to connect (laughs) with me, I'd love to connect with your listeners uh, if you'd like to connect with me, if you go on LinkedIn and just search for Will Bachman, B-A-C-H-M-A-N, uh, I'll pop up. If you type in Will Bachman, Umbrex, I'll pop up and send me a connection request. Say that you're, you, you heard the show and I'll be happy to accept it. And uh, for folks that are thinking about you know, getting into and setting, becoming an independent professional, uh, I have a course that, of how to set up your own practice that I'll be happy to uh, give your listeners access to. No, that's great, Will. I really appreciate that. And I'll put all the links to the uh, all your resources in the show notes. So I really appreciate that. Thank you. So leaders, I hope that you took away a lot from this. Uh, at least I did. I've got uh, five pages of notes here as, I, as Will was talking, and I really appreciate all of his insight. I mean, he gave us eight lessons that he learned uh, uh, during his time in leadership. Uh, in the Navy and how he's applied that into uh, his career. And I think there's a lot of good things that we can take from that. So the idea of focus and, uh, you know, getting eyeballs on the job. I love that. Respect uh, for your senior employees, but also being willing to challenge them. I love this. Take responsibility for your mistakes, right? And then give credit to success to the people that uh, work for you. The idea of completed staff work, we need to think about that. How do we provide solutions and not problems? And when we're leading up or talking with customers or potential clients, right? Um, The idea that, uh, you know, provide opportunities in your organization where you have uh, mentorship at the moment of truth. He talked about uh, tasks that require the commanding officer's permission. I like that. Clear communication, being clear, concise with your communication. Uh, that's something that we could all learn from. Yes, those of you who are writing me long emails, you need to spend time being more concise. It's one of my pet peeves. <laughs> so I love that. And then the whole qualification process uh, in the Navy and how that uh, gives people opportunities to learn and experience things before they move on to more levels of responsibility. So those are really good tips, really good feedback, really good um, lessons that you learn. And I really appreciate, Will, you bringing those uh, to our listeners today. Well, John, thanks. I'm, I'm a big fan of your book. Like I mentioned, I had to watch. I'm looking forward to your new book that's coming <laughs> out. And I, I love this podcast. And I also really respect the work that you've done helping raise funds for Code of Vets. Oh, nice. Yeah. Work with organizations. So it's 
been a real privilege being on your show. Thanks so much for having me. Okay, thanks, Will. I appreciate it. I really learned a lot. So thank you very much. So that's it for today. Thank you for listening to Deep Leadership. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and share so we can continue to build a world with better bosses. Until next time, this is John Rennie saying take care and lead well. Thank you for listening to Deep Leadership. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for all you do. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. For more information and updates, please visit our website at www.deepleadershippodcast.com or johnsrenny.com. Until next time, take care. Ever thought about starting your own podcast? Do you have a business or a message you want to share with the world? Well, now it's easier than ever with Electricast. Hi, I'm Mark Netter. And I'm Peter Ravelson. We're the founders of Electricast Media. Whether you want to start a new podcast or already have one, join Electricast to grow your audience, monetize your content, and build your community. With our simple sign-up, you get free promotion, world-class analytics, premium ads, and personal support. Go to Electricast.com and join our community today. Electricast. Transform your influence. Electric acid. Electric acid. Welcome to the Candle Power Hour. Come with us backstage behind the scenes of show business spanning over four decades and bringing you the experiences that can only be told by the people who were there. Our guests are from the A-list, the F-list, and everyone in between. Get set for some of the most insane, hilarious, and inspiring stories you will ever hear. I'm Mercury. And I'm Diego. Your hosts for The The Candle Candle Power Power Hour. Hour.